and I want to be a lifetime learner. I, I want to be somebody that every day I want to get a little bit better. Being extraordinary is having a relentless commitment during the unseen hours to work towards mastery of your craft and focus on the fundamentals. Being extraordinary is about doing the little things right every single day. In today's episode, I go behind the packed arenas, behind the NBA TV broadcast, and behind the dancing cheerleaders with my longtime friend, mentor, and someone who has had a profound impact on my life, Coach David Adkins. DA, as he is affectionately known, is the new director of player development for the Portland Trailblazers after holding similar positions with the Washington Wizards and Los Angeles Clippers. He has 30 years of elite coaching experience at every level, having been an integral member of the coaching staffs at Montrose Christian, DeMatha Catholic High School, and the University of Maryland's women's basketball team. Coach Atkins is the best in the business at his craft. And it's not by accident. It's not by luck. It's because he puts in serious work during the unseen hours. I first met Coach Atkins in the summer of 2002, where he was pivotal in opening the door for me as the strength and conditioning coach at Montrose Christian, something I will be forever grateful for. Warning, this episode contains the occasional use of adult language, words like and and quite possibly some nudity. So please be advised. Here's my conversation with a man I still call coach, David Adkins. Quick side note to you, my loyal listeners. I realize that many of you don't have the same affinity for basketball that I do, so throughout this episode, we will insert brief commentary to offer context to some of the names Coach Atkins mentioned. Coach Atkins, it is so amazing to be reunited with you. I know we just had an awesome conversation before we hit record. I've got so many things I want to ask you, but I'll just start by asking you, when you hear the term unseen hours, what does that make you think of? Where does your mind go? And then how do you approach the times when nobody else is watching? It's a pleasure to be on with you. And as I said earlier, kind of looking at those pictures behind you, you know, your career and your, have you proceeded through life has been pretty impressive to watch. So I appreciate you're having me on unseen hours you see that a lot with not a lot but I think Drew Hanlon has it a little bit guys that I really respect in the business of basketball and you know people always use the grinders and stuff like that to me you know when you have to say that kind of stuff it's like are you really about it or are you really selling what you're about and unseen hours and you and I both know started for me many many years ago in a small gym but unseen hours I kind of what I what I wrote down as I talked about it during the pandemic is Unseen hours is, are you prepared for it? And, and preparing for, you know, every day when you get up, are you prepared for that day? And I think I'm an old school guy. You know me. and I write things down. So I prepare for it every, every day what I'm going to work on. And then secondly, I'm going to show up. And I'm going to show up early. I'm going to be early. And I'm going to try to make sure that I'm, I have the energy and I have the, the knowledge. But I also am able to adjust to what that workout is going to be. And then lastly, I'm just going to outwork you. And, and that's, I think those, when you say, you know, when I thought about it when you sent me the email and those are things, you know, prepare, show up, outwork. And, you know, we always put things to threes, you know, Kevin Eastman taught us a lot of that. Kevin Eastman, whom I consider a friend and mentor, is a former D1 college coach, former NBA assistant, and formerly ran all of Nike basketball summer skills academies for almost a decade. He is a coach's coach in someone who has had a massive impact on my life. But also the unseen hours is, is, is the time that you spend with guys in an airport. I was in the G League last season for most of the season. Unseen hours is me sitting down with George King and just rapping about life, rapping about where he's from. George King, who I've never met personally, was a Pac-12 all-conference player at the University of Colorado and has spent time in both the G League and NBA. Unseen hours is, is going into many a uh, couple of years ago with the Wizards were down in Tampa playing Toronto of all place of all people because Toronto Canada closed their borders and so we're getting ready to get on the bus and I walk in and, and I buy Russell Westbrook who has more money than God but I buy him a, uh, a Starbucks right there at the hotel and we rap and and it's, to me those are unseen hours that you, you develop relationships with guys off the court unseen hours is 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 being on the court with those guys when no one's around, no cameras, no coaches, no video, whatever. Those are unseen hours. And, and I think, but I think it has to be both. I think you have to have unseen hours developing relationships, getting them to know that you care about them. 
then I also think you have to have unseen hours when you're on the court when nobody's around and getting that person better. You're so wise. Oh, man, I love that. And and let's I want to make sure the listeners understand using that philosophy like you prepared for this interview, you wrote some ideas down, you took some notes. I mean, you, you took advantage of the unseen hours to come on a podcast to talk about the unseen hours. So <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I've always most respected and, and appreciated about you is you've always been a practitioner. You, you've always lived in perfect alignment between what it is that you teach and preach and how it is that you live your life. And where I want to start talking now is let's, let's talk about relationships because I don't think anyone's had more of an impact on me than you when it comes to, to showing how to build mutually like just amazing relationships. And I'm, I'm so thankful. I mean, you and I have been friends for a long time now and we haven't stayed in super close touch over the last few years, but you know, just to see you again is, is so amazing. So talk to me about the power of relationships and especially talk about how someone went from being a working in high school now, granted a very prestigious high school, but went from working in high school to running player development for an NBA franchise. Got me a little bit because you know I'm ADHD, Adam. So let's start about the relationship piece because you and I both have been so fortunate when we were both together at Montrose to go down to the Triangle and watch the Duke, Carolina, and NC State, and sometimes all three in the same day. So I've been blessed, as you have, to be around some truly great men, and not even coaches, just men. The list is long, as you know, but there's certain things that you take and – you know, cue words, as Coach Eastman always talks about. And, and just, and if it hits you, it hits you. And then how can you utilize it in your relationships with other people? But relationships to me is, is I, I, I relish that. I relish getting to know you and your family. I relish to get to know the players that we have here, that they know that I care about them first and foremost. The old, ad, you know, before they care what you know, they got to know that you care. We all understand that. But when you and I were together down at Duke, and I know how Coach K is. He's at the top of your pyramid, so to speak. Coach K said, how do you spell love? Do you remember that? Yeah. T-I-M-E. Yeah. But everybody says L-O-V. And I, I've used this, Alan, over a thousand times. I used it when I was at Maryland. I'd bring the, bring the young ladies in because I was on the women's side. And, and I would and I would, oh, yeah. T no, no. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach, show you how much I care and love you by the, by the T-I-M-E, the amount of time I'm going to spend with you. And that time means that I'm going to hold you accountable. That time means I'm going to give you what you need. That time means I'm going to not be your best friend. You know, I learned in, uh, 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 from Coach Tapscott in the NBA. You know, in NBA, I don't want to be your fan. I'm not your friend. I'm not your fan. I'm your coach. I'm not your friend. I'm not a fan. I'm, and I'm your coach. And, and, and that was hard because looking at some of these guys, you look at them like these, these guys we all watched on TV. And so – crossing over that that relationship part of it is that I have to coach them. I have to keep a, a, a professional relationship with them because I want them to be the best that they possibly can be. But I've learned that early on from Coach K and I've used that for the last 15, 20 years because time, that is it. You know, and we, we all can spend time when we want to. It's the unseen hours. Kid, kid texted me yesterday, Isaiah, who's, who's a training camp invite, he texted me, can we get in the gym? Well, it's Saturday afternoon. Yeah, let's, let's go at five. And so that's that's the, now we get in there. Now it's just him and I. Now we can talk about where he's from in Atlanta. He went to USC Greensboro. Now we're talking, well, Coach, what do I need? And all he wants to know is how can he make this team? And so that's the relationship. So now I can always go back to that the rest of his career. And so I think that the, that, that piece of time is, is so important. That's the smartest thing I've ever heard anyone say about anything. Talk to me. I mean, so you went from Montrose to DeMatha, to University of Maryland, to the Washington Wizards, to the LA Clippers, to now the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, that's a, a pretty wide <laughs> spectrum of different levels of different. I mean, you're, you're at the, the highest level of high school basketball, the highest level of women's college basketball, and now obviously the highest level of any sport in the world, the NBA. Talk to me about the role that relationships played specifically mm -hmm. in each of those different moves that you made. Keep me on track now, because I start back. It's all about relationships. It's all about, it's interesting, you know, I met Montrose Christian, and for Montrose Christian, Stu Vetter got to go to a Morgan Wooten. He wasn't there, but go work for Mike Jones. That's like oil and water. Yeah. Um, but the relationship was, is Nike. Nike had us, we were working at that time, it was the All-American Camp and the Hoops Jamboree. 
before it became the academies, Mike and I kind of connected a little bit. And I think he realized I wasn't a jerk. <laughs> At least I hope not. And in 2006, it was time for me to make a, a move in my career. And it was time for me to, to step out. And Mike called me and said, hey, I got a, got a position for you here. And, and I ran with it. And that relationship started a couple of years earlier at a Nike camp. And so, you know, I'm not where I am. When you, when you, you go through my progression, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty unique and amazing. Uh, my steps and you're a big part of it. It's like when I talk to people, you're, you're part of the NBA, Alan, because when you we were together for all those years in Montrose and after and our conversations and our growth together, we did this. I don't I don't have any misconceptions that I did this on my own. Hell no. It's my wife first and foremost. And, you know, Janet, she's she was I'll kick my coverage and she's been along the way and guiding me and taking care of my own life when I could do all this. So she's first and foremost, but you're a part of it. And I mean that, and we, I've never told you that. And then secondly, so I, I get to DeMatha, phenomenal three years, unbelievable three years. I'm able to, to grow and see what they're about, you know, and, and gentlemen and a scholar is their slogan. And, and to see Mike Jones and his element, to see Dr. McMahon and his element, you work there as well, just to see the whole campus life and, and what they're about really kind of inspired me because they don't let too many outsiders into the math. If you're not a grad, a high school, I mean, if you're not a graduate of there, um, but you and I are part of the math's culture, so to speak, we're part of the math's family. And that was huge. But then the next step was Maryland. Uh, Mark Thomas, who used to run MD, MD Vars, I think it was called. Well, I've known Mark for years and he reached out to me. Would I be interested to go to the relationship? Would I be interested to go play, uh, go work for Brenda Freeze? She was looking for a player development guy. Ian and Baker was was in conversation. I think this is what he told me with Connecticut. So they want to be, you know, they Coach Freeze is that level of a coach, that level of an organization and program. And so we talked about it. I met with Coach Freeze, and and she gave me. I always ask future employees, what do you need me to provide? And I want a list. And I look at that list, and if I can provide for that list, then I go for that job if that's what I want, if that makes sense. And so she told me what she wanted, and I went home, talked to my family, and going over from the men's to the women's, Tate's Lock gave me the seal of approval. Our guy Tate's. Tate's Lock, whom I consider a friend and mentor, has been coaching basketball longer than I've been breathing. And in basketball circles is considered a legend. For context, he hired Bobby Knight for his first coaching job at West Point. The very hard to find book, Caught in the Net, is about Coach Locke's journey. Those that know him know he's revered for his gruff sense of humor. The first time I met him in 2006, in a nervous attempt to make small talk, I commented on his famous leather attache. I said, that looks older than me. Without skipping a beat, he sneered back, it is, and it's also a lot more helpful, and casually walked away. My goodness, I love that man. And it was, but it started because Mark Thomas knew what I was about. He had seen me work at, he had seen me work at uh, Montrose for seven years. He'd seen me at the math and, and he wanted me with his, with his uh, wife there at Maryland. So now I'm at Maryland for five years. And, and you know, back then we're still doing pre-draft workouts. You and I had that little small business going. And, and so there was some video out with me, with Mike Beasley and, you know, with uh, Marissa Coleman and Josh Height, uh, Josh Heitfeld, I think it was at that time from Gonzaga, KD. Kevin Durant, also known as KD. It, you know what? If you don't know who Kevin Durant is, please stop listening to this show right now. So Matt Maryland for five years, I get a call from Mark Eversley, who's now the GM at Chicago. And so he calls me. He's the director of scouting or whatever it was at, at Washington. He calls me and says, uh, hey, DA, Thinking about we need to develop a, a, a we need a, a person come in and run the player development program here with the Wizards. And so he's talking to me and I stop and I'm on the phone. I say, Mark, hold on, you fucking know I coach women's basketball. And he kind of laughed. I said it just like that because, and I get to the, the women's because I'm not belittling, belittling that at all. It's right. it's where it got me where I was. And he laughed. He said, No, we know what you do. And then told Coach Freeze. I go down and meet with Randy Whitman. I work two players out. Otto Porter and Glenn Rice Jr. The next day I get offered a position. Coach Freeze was 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 the best. She she pushed me on and, and let me move on. So now I'm with the Wizards for seven years. Unbelievable relationships. I'm able to work for Randy Whitman. Um, Scotty Brooks comes in. He keeps me on and my guys on. I'm there for seven years. And so now as you're in the environment, you're in the element, you know, whether it be women's basketball, high school basketball in D.C. or the NBA, you build relationships. You, you People see your work. 
Um, and I'm very prideful of what we do as, as a player development organization, the organization before games. You've been to games, and you know who's organized when guys are coming out, what they're doing. The young guys, you know, a lot of people say we don't practice in the NBA. That, that's, a, that's not right. We do. We just don't do it for hours upon hours like they do in college or high school. We get it in 15, 20 minutes every single day. And so I was able to kind of show my wear, so to speak. And last August, early August, a year ago this time, uh, Tommy Shepard decided to make a change, and I wasn't going to be a part of that. The best thing I can say on this, I still respect the hell out of Tommy. He, he did great for me and my family. I gave him a hug in Vegas when I saw him at Gers camp at 630 in the morning. We were working guys out, um, is that he let me know, but he helped me move on. Yeah. And that was very, you know, it hurt for the first couple of weeks, as we talked about before we get on this. And so when I got let go in Vegas, I made a phone call to, to L. Frank that, that, that morning, right after I got let go. And L. Frank is short for Lawrence Frank. Isn't Coach Atkins clever? I've never met Lawrence. Oh, sorry. I've never met L. Frank, but everyone I've ever met who knows him speaks the world of him. He's truly one of basketball's good guys. He's the former head coach of the Detroit Pistons and New Jersey Nets before they moved to Brooklyn and is currently the president of basketball operations for the L.A. Clippers. In 2020, he was voted NBA Executive of the Year. Hell said, hey, man, come on in. So I go meet L. Frank. Lawrence Frank is, was, I owe him a, a, a debt of grat gratitude like no other, Alan. I go meet with him, and they're playing over in uh, the small gym in, in Vegas. They're playing at Cox Pavilion. And so I'm sitting with him, and I go sit with him. My head is still spinning, you know. You know, it's the first time I've ever been asked not to be you know, brought back. It's my feelings, my ego, all that shit is hurting. And he sits me out and he says, D.A., welcome to the NBA. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Welcome. He said, yo, you're not an NBA coach, so you get fired. And it's like that thing, that right, they said, I've been hired and fired from the same organization two or three times. And so, but, but for him to be at the, the level that he's at, won championships, coached at every level, now he was a GM, was like, okay. And so two weeks later, he you know, offered me a position, a hybrid position, because I didn't know him very well, didn't know Ty Lue at all. And, but because of the working relationships, and, and, and L. Frank prides himself on intel. You know, he prides himself on, on information about what's going on around him and always being a step ahead. And so that gave me an opportunity to get with the Clippers. Had a phenomenal year working and seeing how they run things at, at a high-level championship organization that this season will compete. Being around a Paul George, a Kawhi Leonard, a Reggie Jackson, a Marcus Morris, you know, it's a whole new set of relationships I was able to build and see and watch. And you know this, success leaves footprints. Mm -hmm. So does failure. You know, so successfully, and, and you know, we, we've all said that, but I watched. And you see guys that are at the, the peak of their career because of their routine and what they do. And then this opportunity, the same, I'm not August, but uh, a month ago now in July, I'm at Summer League and um, have an opportunity to, to meet with Chauncey and, and, and the GM after we got out of summer league and, and they offered me a position to come here as the director of player development. Um, but it does help that Roy Rogers talking about relationships. I was with Roy Rogers in the Washington Wizards my first two years. He's a second assistant here. And then Scotty Brooks is the first assistant. So Scotty Brooks, I worked for five years and then Steve Hetzel, somebody I've known for years. So all three of those guys and some other people that, that I could mention have really been helpful to me to, to get this opportunity here in Portland. I like it a lot. So much gold there. Two things. One, <laughs> one's kind of an observation. And then the second's a question. The first observation is, and you've taught me this, somebody is always watching you. Even during what you think are the unseen hours, someone is paying attention and watching you. And, you know, so your reputation, reputation kind of precedes you. So you have all of these people have seen you do your thing, whether it was Mark Thomas watching you at Montrose and DeMatha, uh, whether it was L. Frank seeing the stuff that you did with the Wizards, someone's paying attention and, and that can help a, a relationship, you know, at least initiate or blossom. Uh, my, my next question or my actual question is, are relationships relationships or was there a big difference between developing a relationship with a 14 or 15 year old freshman at Montrose or DeMatha who might not even have money for a bus ticket and now <laughs> forming relationships with grown men who are professionals who make tens of millions of dollars a year and then everything in between? Is there a big difference between the way you form those relationships or is just people people? I think as you mature and you grow through your experiences, I think it obviously is. It's a difference. I mean, you know, I can see there's pictures behind you that I know who I gave that 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 Metro money to to, to get home. 
people. I know exactly, you know, and, and I, you know, there's a few guys back there. But I think, first and foremost, uh, I've been very fortunate just that my experience, but the people I've been around from Tate Slock to Kevin Eastman to Stu Vetter to Mike Jones to Brenda Freeze to Scotty Brooks to Randy Whitman. I mean, there's hundreds all, all in every level. You know, John Thompson from North Carolina Western. There's a lot of people. And I go back to Coach Eastman because you know how the impact that he's had on both of us. And I want to be a lifetime learner. I, I want to be somebody that every day I want to get a little bit better. And so you asked me about my relationships. Well, I know the two people at the front desk. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they do. It's important to me. And my mother was a social worker, so I've been around this a lot. You've heard me talk about my mom. She was the world because who she, how she dealt with people and, and how she always gave people respect. Now, if they didn't give it back, she might change her tone a little bit. But, and then she dealt with people that had issues. She dealt with people that were struggling at that time. This is, you know, 25, 30 years ago when I was growing up. And so I saw that and that, you know, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has a story to tell. Big eyes, big ears, small mouth. And so you have to listen a little bit. And at, at 14 and 15 year old, all I want for young people, all I want is for them to, to, to grow and get better. Doesn't matter what line of work it is. And, and to me, you know, one of your questions was, you know, um, my craft. And it's like, and I, this is what I wrote down when the email you sent me, I want impact on a daily basis. I want impact whoever I come in contact with. Then I want to influence them. I want to be able to influence them for hopefully for right and, do, and, and to, to, to do the best that they can where they are in their world. The third thing, I want to lead them. I want to lead it by my example. I want to lead it by my, what I do. I want to lead it by my voice. That's what I really worked on this past season with Coach Hewitt. And he was tremendous in my growth last season with the G League. Then I want to leave a legacy. Those are my things. I want to impact. I want to influence. I want to lead. I want, and, and my legacy is that they can carry the, the, the story on. They can, they can move on and help somebody else. And I don't need the credit. I don't need to thank you. But to me, sorry for long-winded answer, but what you asked me was like, no, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still taking my time, learning what you're about, what you want, and this is, and then let's plan together what we're going to do. What, what women's basketball, you and I both were around some that has to be one of the hottest and the most prolific 20 years in D.C. with, with, with basketball, men's and women's. We were more involved at that time with, with young men. And, and the people that – I can bring up names to these guys here. They all know Mike Beasley, the Ty Lawson's. You know, the, the Nolan Smiths, the, the Austin, Austin Freemans, the Chris Wrights. I mean, you're talking then, – then you go to Victor Depot, Quinn Cook. I even talked about Kevin Durant. I have, you know, the Gravis Vasquez. I don't know if you noticed, he just got um, – he's going to be enshrined into the Maryland Hall of Fame. Gravis Vasquez makes my personal Mount Rushmore of all-time favorite players I've ever coached. I met Gravis the day he got to the United States from Venezuela and was immediately attracted to his infectious energy and unparalleled enthusiasm for the game and for life. Gravis was an elite high school player alongside KD at Montrose Christian, an All-American at the University of Maryland, and had a very respectable NBA career until it was cut short by injury. With that being said, it's like those relationships. So now I moved to the University of Maryland. And what Maryland taught me, and think I, I, I would not be here without Coach Freeze and Coach Langley and Coach Chen, the staff, the whole staff, is that when you deal with women, and now the women we had, you know, we've got Alyssa Thomas, who's on Connecticut, Bree Jones. I mean, we got, they're still playing. She, Troy Walker Kimbrough. You know, at one time, Christy Toller was still playing. At one time, in the, when the Mystics won it, we had seven of the 20, 24 girls went to Maryland and when the Mystics won the championships on both teams. Yeah. So, so there's a level to that. And now I think women's basketball is finally starting to get its due. Well, you and I were around and you worked them out early on um, that they're athletes just as much. But what I learned at Maryland it took me a little while. It's not what you say. It's your tone of what you say. When you coach men, a lot of times it's a lot of times men and, and I'm, you know, College coaches, they want to scream and yell, well, what the fuck are you saying? And so what I learned at Maryland, because I'm a very energetic guy, I'm going to get passionate, I'm going to probably say a lot of shit that I probably have to uh, uh, apologize later, but it's that your tone. And so when I got to the NBA, it was my tone. So my relationships had to be, okay, I had to be able to tone myself down and get my voice, get my point across without, oh, you got to do it this way, you got to do it. No, they're not doing that because we're with them every single day. So the piece about my growth and, and my relationships, 
from 14 on, it's like you figure out your, your audience and then you figure out your audience, what they want to, to accept. And then you have to meet them. The one thing um, I'm kind of jumping around now and I apologize, but the one thing that I, somebody was telling me the other day, like, what did you learn about the G League? And it took me a little while to figure it out. It took me almost to the, uh, we went to the showcasing. It was early on in Vegas. And right away, I knew I was back to basics because the, the, the NBA is, is, is a bougie league. I mean, it, not only do the players get, you know, spoiled, coaches do too. I mean, the way we travel, the way we, the hotels, the money, yada, yada, yada. And so going back to the G League, I, and I said it, and I think some people took offense to it. And you know me. I mean, I don't say shit to, to offend guys. Sometimes I do. But is, is I was back to basics. It took me back to basics. We were working out in Rancho Cucamonga. We had a warehouse, beautiful, great floor. Coach Hewitt got us new baskets. But it was, it was, we had to wait for the middle school, private middle school team to get off uh, PE class so we could get on at 11. But that, then the travel, you know, you're traveling in airports. You're not, you're not tra traveling charts. So it was back to basics. But all those dudes there knew I was there for, se I was in the NBA for seven years prior. So now they were so coachable and willing to take my advice and, excuse me, my guidance. So it's back to basics. And what I learned was, I'm getting to it now, is timelines. With, with players in any line of work, what is the timeline for that young man, whether it be in a professional world as an accountant, a stockbroker, a doctor, what's the timeline for him? Because now who's mentoring him? Who's the person in charge of him? And then who's the person in charge of them? If it's not the timeline together, as we want to get this player right, he's got to be ready to go right now. We drafted him first round. We moved up for him. He's got to be, no, he's 19 years old. His timeline wasn't ready that for everybody else. I'm not going to mention names, but I, but I wanted it. But then you could, he could feel all the pressure from everybody else. He just wasn't ready. It's another opportunity. Now he's, he's thriving. But the timeline, so if, I don't know if I'm making sense, Alan, but to me it's like anything that you do when you're dealing with coaching people, what's the timeline for that kid's development? That, that, that man or woman doesn't matter, especially when high school and college. But when you get to our level and you're in the professional ranks, the timelines can get skewed because it's about winning and losing. Let's not get it twisted. And it's a business first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned, long story short, was that the timeline. What is a timeline? Let's all of us get on the same page. Management, the head coach, and if I'm overseeing player, let's get on that same timeline so we can get the most out of this young player. You smart. I appreciate that. Sounds like you start with the end in mind. And obviously, high school and college, you've basically got four years to play with. So you say, hey, in four years, here's where we want this, this player to be. Now we need to work our way backwards and make sure that they're hitting certain metrics and certain sure. marks so that yeah. they'll be the best player they're capable of. Oh, absolutely love that. That's why I fuck with you, because you can take my, my jumbled words and put it into succinctly. But it's also like, but now you're skipping steps, though, Alan. Because now they go to high school for four years, and a lot of them might go to three or four different schools, yeah. right? So now, and you and I both know the structure we had at Montrose, the structure we had at the was not for everybody. Right. So if you don't have that structure, that work ethic, that, that commitment, that discipline, when you get to college, you're only there for what, five or six months because then you're out because you're yeah. preparing for the draft. Now you get to the draft. No one gives a fuck in the NBA. They yeah. can say that they want. But, yo, if you don't have, have a, 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 an understanding of what this – is going to take it. No one does. No one does. I don't care who you are. And you don't get it because you're going against 32, 33 year old grown men that are the best in the world. You're going to struggle. So yeah. um, to me, that, that's the piece. And that's what that's what's missing in our game is that guys are they're skipping steps because of their talent, because of their potential. So they're not getting the growth and the development that they need on a daily basis. And that messes up that process. That messes up that timeline when people start to skip steps. So, oh, man. One more question on, on relationships, and then I've got a few other directions we'll go. I don't know if you remember this as vividly as I do, but one of the coolest experiences I've ever had with you was when you introduced me to Masai, when, when he came to Montrose, when he was helping us get some players, uh, primarily from Nigeria, but from Africa in general. And you said, well, basically, when you introduced me to him, this guy is going to run an NBA team one day. And I'll be damned if that didn't come true. And he ends up winning a championship with Toronto. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit just about Masai and what it is that you saw in him that made you say a guy that's basically kind of helping high school players will run an NBA yeah. team one day. I was telling the story because one of our video assistant video coordinators, Ike, I can't pronounce his last name, is from Nigeria, played at the University of Buffalo, 6'10 kid. And so he's talking to me and I'm like, yo, you know Masai Yuri? And he looked at me with big eyes. 
And I said, well, I, I've known Masai Uri probably over 20 years. When we when we, we got those to Uche, and yeah. he was running, him and Godwin uh, were running radar hoops. And yep. so reached out to me. Coach Red and I went over to Nigeria. Masai Uri picked us up at the airport, the Lagos airport, and, and basically took us around for that four or five days. We got some kids through the embassy and, you know, the four guys we brought in are all very productive citizens. Uche's in Florida, married to a yep. nurse with three kids. Tunji's in Virginia, down in Charlottesville, doing very well. Not sure where Churchill is. Churchill got married as well, a graduate of Oregon. And then Collins, who wasn't with us very long, he, he's a graduate of Stetson. Quick story about Masai is that why I said that to you is probably just the vibe I got from him. Um, I knew that he was he was he was uh, motivated. I knew that he was about the right things i knew that you know and i knew this in the story i'm going to tell you in a second i just just i just had a feeling that he was going to be a leader in this field and and he had he had it mapped out a little bit where you know scouting was going to be his way in and then and then he ran with it we had gotten his four guys the next summer uh, i'm talking to him and i've got we've got one scholarship and it's gravis vasquez here and it's a young african that i've been dealing with for a while from Masai, this is probably over a month. I get a call from Tommy Lloyd, who's now at, at Arizona. Yep. Tommy calls me and said, hey, I got this kid from Venezuela. He's six, 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 seven. Everybody always is taller. He's six, five. But, and, and, I, and Tommy and I had built a relationship over Drew Hall, who we had at Montrose, and went out there for a while and then finished and transferred from Georgetown to, uh, to College of Charleston. It didn't work out at Gonzaga. But anyway, so we built a relationship, Tommy and I. So he called me, knew that we, had, had, we, could, we could house a kid we could take care of all his needs and i had this young uh wing player from africa that i was dealing with Masai. but i had you know and i'm pretty pretty upfront so i called Masai. hey Masai, i got an opportunity i want to ask you what you think i know we got this kid i can't remember his name and i said i got this kid graves vasquez plays for venezuela he said da take that take graves i'm like what so he's not just pushing the young man that he's been dealing with he said now graves is better and, and this was before we got KD. And he said, and it would help. We, he was going to make us a better team. He said, Gravis is better. And so when he told me that, I'm like, he's just not about getting his players where they need to go. He's about basketball, the right things. And he knew what we were doing. He saw what we were doing. He trusted us with four of his players. Um, and then, you know, it ended up being three. And so that that showed me a lot about who he was and what it was about and, and who knew he was going to the Giants of Africa, what he does now. And the impact that he's worldwide, he'll be one of the most influential people in the world, let alone in the basketball world. But he did that for me 20 some years ago. Yeah, 19, 20 years ago. And, and I knew and, and we stay in contact. I reach out to him. I get his advice. I see him. He's he's always but he's he's at a different level now. Oh, yeah, he's he's remarkable. But I yeah, when they were able to hoist that trophy up over their head, man, I, I just thought it couldn't go to a more deserving guy. Um, yeah, phenomenal. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit off of relationships. Talk to me about just kind of the unseen hours of being an NBA coach and what most of us on this side of the camera never get a chance to see, like the, the meetings that you guys do, the film breakdown, what you do personally as far as designing your own workouts and, and learning new drills, how, how often your staff all gets together, how the, the strength and conditioning communicates with you know the, the head coach, like anything that gives us some more insight into NBA coaches' lives in the unseen hours. Well, I'm a little bit of a specialist, so to speak, because the NBA, the, the, the places where I've been, now the Wizards, the Clippers are now coming here. Um, so this is new. Um, and I was brought here to kind of help them develop the player development program. So my, my previous experience with the Wizards and then the Clippers. With the Wizards, we kind of had, you know, you kind of have the first two years was really figuring out with Coach Whitman because he was, he, was, he was so involved in everything. We kind of had a – he was the offensive guy. Uh, Coach Newman, who passed away on Forrest, rest in peace, he was kind of overseeing the defense. And then we had guys, Pat Sullivan, Roy Rogers, and Howard Isley would take turns being the third assistant. So most NBA benches, you have the head coach, and one – and everything is numbers. There's usually six assistants, one through six. One is a top assistant, two is a second, the third is a third, and then you start to the back of the bench. And usually what happens is the first assistant is probably going to see the, the offensive defense. He's going to kind of be, have to oversee that. Because the head coach, and it could change. This is what I've experienced. The head coach has to be the CEO of everything. But he's going to have somebody he kind of leans on. He might take the offense and has a defensive coordinator. So it's just kind of like football. 
So you have one defensive coordinator and usually a guy behind the bench is his top assistant. So those guys, those two guys are responsible for defense. Same thing with offense. And then with me, and this has kind of happened in the last five, six years in the NBA, player development has really blossomed because of the perceived lack of, of uh, practice time. But more importantly, because these guys are so young coming in and obviously utilize the G League. That's a whole nother topic. But so player development has, has kind of encompassed is the on-the-court development of that player. And then you have, what I loved about the Clippers, they put them in pods. So each player had a pod. So in that pod, I'm going to use that because that's what I'm going to implement here. If Coach, Because uh, Coach Billis was actually in L.A. for one year before he got this job. And so in that pod would be the coach. It could be a front-of-the-bench coach, but probably as a player development coach. Then they had the trainer who sees that, you know, who is his physical therapist. Then they had his strength coach. Then they also had his... Uh, analytics because the analytics are such a big part. So we have each, so they have an analytics person that's going to help with designing his workouts, what he needs to work on, offensive defense. Then you have your your nutritionist, and then you have your sports psychologist. So that's one pot for one player. That's how detailed the Clippers are, and a lot of teams do it. Whatever works for them. I like it because that pot is responsible for Alan Stein. So if I have a question as a director, I'm the head coach. I go right to that Alan Stein, David Atkins is your coach. Let me go talk to David. And so you guys are responsible for making sure that, that we're on path with what, how we see Alan playing for us with the Portland Trailblazers. And so everybody, and, and so what I liked about it was Todd Wright, who we talked about earlier. Todd is such, he's a strength coach of the Clippers. He's such a, a, a dynamic person first and foremost, but so wicked wise in what he's about with understanding the movements of the, of the patterns of the move, uh, movements, pattern, movement patterns of players mm-hmm. and equates it to getting them bigger and stronger, but understanding basketball, the movements of basketball, function of movement, I guess most of you guys would say. And so to me, that that's huge. And to me, that pod takes care of that player. And so what I'm going to do is now as the director of player development, with the head coach and the GM, what are one to three things offensively we, we, we want to see him improve upon? What are one to three things? It might be one for a rookie. We want this rookie to, to you know, play with uh, what could it be? It's, we want to see him rim run, whatever it is. So what are the measurable, measurables for that? But usually it's three things, offensive, defensive. So now we're going to plan that group of what, how we're going to do it. What is the step-by-step progression of how we're going to develop that player? For each thing, some things could be closeout, closeout defense. He's given up 1.3 points per closeout. So now every 10 games we see, is that number going up or down? And in those 10 games in the workouts, are we are we doing those workouts to improve him in that closeout? Are we working on closeouts every day? Are we influencing base? Whatever it might be. But that's up to the coach to figure that out. Another thing is like, okay, on offense, closeouts, is he, is he, does he have a quick decision? Is he shooting it, driving it, or moving? Well, there's numbers for that. And, that, and I don't have all that, but that's what that analytics person brings to the table. So he gives me those numbers, and I have to design the workout. And, th- and then the measurable is, after 10 games, is he improving in those things? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That level of detail yeah. is mind-blowing. Oh, I could uh, – yeah. What what the Clippers do, and, and you know, like I said, I started off with with L. Frank, is, is it's about information for him. It's about intel. And it's about – but the biggest thing that, that I really respected, and we had Harry Giles – Harry Giles sat down when we – it was between him and Isaiah Hartenstein, the last big man with the, with the Clippers last season, last training camp, and it was a tough decision. Some, it was almost – I wouldn't say 50-50, but with the coaches. They picked Isaiah, and I had a phenomenal year. Um, they did a – Ty Lue did a great job with him, and I was with the Knicks. But they, we sat down, L. Frank and the player development staff, Sean Fine, and those guys sat down with Harry Giles and mapped out what they were going to do to get him back in the NBA. And it was about a 30-page document. And he was blown away. So he went from being an NBA, I think a lottery pick, or top 20 pick, whatever, whatever Harry was, to going to the G League. He went to the, the Aqua Caliente Clipper because he's like, no one's we, – we, we showed him the plan. And, the, and that, to me, the biggest thing about in the NBA is what's the plan for each player. And to, now I'm going to jump into this and remind me of the part of the question. But the NBA is – I used to say 75 to 80. It's probably 85 to 90% role-defined. I've been in the league nine years now, Alan, and, and being around the Dame Lillards, being around the Paul George, the Kyle Leonard's, the, the John Walls, the Brad Beals, the Russ Westbrooks, those are the, the, you know, Kyrie watching them on a regular basis, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, all the top players. 
Those guys can do what they want, when they want, whenever they want. And they have the freedom to do that. That's why they are the top one or two players in our league. Everybody else is role-defined. And the best role-defined player you're probably going to see is Draymond Green. He's, he's bought into it, and he is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. He's a winner. But he's figured it out, and that's what you want. So to me, as a player development coach and as an assistant coach, is that everybody else that's not an elite-level player, can we make them – maximize their role. What is their role? Chauncey, tell me what the role is for, for Keon Johnson. And the workouts have to be detailed for that. And it's not about going into your package. It's about, you know what, playing within yourself, spacing the floor, making open shots, reading closeouts. That's that's Keon. Defensively, being able to be disruptive in, in the ball, be able to guard the ball, be able to play play defense without getting help. So these are, it's real simple shit. But just then what are the measurables and how we're going to do it? But then having a plan. And, and I think and then engaging that player to be a part of that plan. You know me well enough. It's like, yo, man, what you see? If you see something, say something. You're the smartest guy I ever met. And in NBA players, especially ones that have been in the league five, six or years or longer, they know what they need to do because they've, they've been there that long. So they have to have a routine, but they'll let you know. And what I'm good at, Justice Winslow just came up here to work out and everybody knocks his shot. He shot the shit out of it. And it wasn't me. It was just that there's certain things I can tell him what I, what I want his hand and this, that, and the other. And he shot the ball well because he trusts me to make those adjustments. He trusts me to put him in position to make shots. And so with that being said, it's like knowing a player, knowing what he's going to be able to do, knowing how coach wants to play him, and then developing a plan. My goodness. That's incredible. So let's go back a second. So just to make the numbers clean, you got 20 guys in the league that are first ballot Hall of Famers. They do anything they want. You got another 30 to 40 to 50 players in the league that are so skilled, their talent is going to keep them in the league, barring a massive injury or uh, an arrest of some sort. Then you've got 350 to 400 players that are role defined that are here today, but could be gone tomorrow. You know, some guys are, are in the league for a year or two and you never hear from again. Other guys play for 15 years. What is the separator for that group of guys that keep someone in the league and having a 10, 12, 15 year career, not talking about the hall of famers, the super talented, but the guys that are in those role defined play, you know, uh, roles. First off, you have to have the talent and that, and that's, that's not, let's not get it twisted. You have to have that. Then you have to have a competitive nature. You have to be a competitive dude in everything that you do. And then secondly, a little bit of luck. And then thirdly or fourthly now is that you've got to figure it out very quickly. Um, and obviously, when we talk about, you know, the, the Paul Pierce's who I've been around, the Andre Miller's 16, 17 years, these dudes had a routine and they were early in my career. If you can get, I think the average is three years. Yep. Tommy Shepard told me this one. I, Every four years, it's a 50% turnover in the NBA. What did you say? Every four years, it's a 50% turnover. Every year, there's 60 guys trying to come in and take that, take a job. Every year. And then that's not even talking about the undrafted and the European player. You have to buy it quickly. And, you know, first-round draft picks get guaranteed money for two years, then they get an option for the third year. Second-round picks don't. So, but now what makes it is, is the, the talent – Competitive nature, being a little bit lucky, and then having a routine. And it's that simple. I mean, obviously, you got to league on potential. How quickly can you find out what that organization needs you to provide? And can you do it when you're called upon? Mike Procopio had a stat. Might be even 80. 80% of the NBA takes 10 shots or less. Think about that. And at 10 shots, you know, you, you got more than that up at high school and at Elon College. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> But so, so, so whatever the person, but think about that. So when I work a guy out, he wants to fuck. No, you, you can get five shots tonight, man. You better fucking make at least two or three. You coming out. And so knowing the guy's game and knowing the shot profile, but that, but think about that. So you, you think you can go in and get, no. Now Brad can do that. John can do that. Russ can do that. Kyrie can do that. So, so it, it has to be, it very, you have to be very efficient and then you have to be able to be, when called upon, you're able to do it on a consistent basis. Russ Westbrook gave me a great line. What's the hardest thing to do in the NBA? And it sounds simple, right? Yeah. And you want to talk about a dude that's consistent. I mean, say what you want about him. That's one of the, my most favorite people to be around. His leadership, his attention to detail, how he treated people, his work ethic, his accountability level, phenomenal. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Every single day. 
82 games a year. The hardest thing to do is to do 82 games a year. And, and so a lot of guys, when they're taking time off or whatever, that's, so that consistency. And so with young players, it's like getting them to buy into the role that Coach Chauncey Billups wants them to do, thrive in that role, because guess what happens then? Then you get more opportunity. But they want to come in. No, Dame's going to have the ball. Ant's going to have the ball. Nurk's going to have it on the post. Jeremy's going to have – I mean, no, you got to fit in where you can and, and then not be a liability on the other end, especially for young players. It really, man, and going back to my high school days, it's really that simple. But, but, but the, the toughest thing with young players is getting them to buy into that and then getting them to understand how hard it is to do it every night because it's like day by day we get a little bit better. By the end of the week, we're this much better. But in the NBA, day by day, you might not get called upon for a week, two weeks, three weeks. And what I relish is that when you get called upon, you're ready to get in mentally, emotionally, physically, and you got the skill set. So those are things that, as I work with young players, we try to establish early on. This is how we do it. Um, and, and you don't get rewarded because you do it every day. You get rewarded when he gives you an opportunity and has, has your work before that prepared you. Ah. Uh. It reminds me of that quote, be ready so you don't have to get ready. You, you yeah. probably taught me that, but yeah, that is absolutely incredible. Another question on the unseen hours. Give us just kind of a rough skeleton of what a week during the season looks like. You know, let's say you've got a couple of games on the road, maybe a game or two at home. Like, you know, you're, uh, what time do you guys show up to the arena? What does, does morning shoot arounds look like? What time do you fly out after a game? What time do you do meals? Like, just give us just a loose structure of what a typical week in an NBA coaches and players life would look like. So we're going to play anywhere from three to four games in a week and could be, could be on a West coast trip, could be on the East coast trip, but on a regular week. And so what we do, and, and we did it with the wizards and they do it with the, the Clippers, the Clippers try to map out throughout the season. They try to map out throughout the season, a seven game series. So they want their guys to be at the, the peak performance for seven games, the playoffs. So throughout the season, that's what they're mapping out. So the work rest, uh, you know, work rest uh, ratio, the, uh, you know, basically the load management. So that's pretty wicked smart to me. So they're mapping it out. Hey, we've got, we've got, we've got fifteen, we've got fifteen games in the month of, of January. Let's map out the month and the high minute guys, the low minute guys, where they where they at. I'm kind of jumping around, but and so what 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 I liked, and we did it in Washington. We they did it with the Clippers, and I was with the G League, so we you know. Everybody had to play. Here is like, what's the plan for the month? What's the plan for the week? What's the plan for the day? Mm. And so for the month is like how many high-level days we want. High-level days are usually when you're playing five-on-five or or competitive three-on-three. A medium level is where you're getting a good, and that's full court. And and I'm, you know, obviously you know the the numbers better than I do, but I can kind of judge my workout. So I go high, medium, low. Mm-hmm. And I have to figure out how they want to do it here. But so I, for the high days, how many of those are we going to do in a, in a month, in a week? And we're going to that out. Now you're prepared, like I said earlier. Now we have to adjust because what if that guy's getting more minutes? So obviously Dame Lillard is not going to be worried about high because he needs to perform at, at 7 o'clock every night. So what he does each day, and he's been in the league long enough, he knows his routine, his body, and he's a worker. He does not miss shit. He does not take days off. He does not practice what I'm they telling me he doesn't miss practices as other guys do. He doesn't do that. And so when your best players, your heart is working. We both know that. It, it, it sets the table for everything else. So then a medium workout. So a medium workout would probably be, you know, high level, 30 to 35 minutes of, of, of good work, court work, a little bit of full court running in. And then a low workout would probably just be a lot of spot shots and stuff like that. Well, I've really grown, Alan, since you've been around me, is that I can I can read that and I can see what the player wants and, and goes back to relationships. Like like Justice Winslow, he was raised with John Lucas. Well, you fucking know John Lucas, big John. John Lucas, you work out six o'clock in the morning, you come back at, at one, you come back at night and you're working. That's his mentality and that's what he knows. So you got to save himself, justice from himself because he just wants to work, work, work. You know what I mean? Other guys, I might have to fucking hold their hand. You've got to get your ass in the gym. You got to come back tonight. So you got you to develop, you know, I've done that. Um, and so, so now we've mapped out the month to the, to the week to the day. And so each, you know, I, 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 you know, me, I have my calendar and I'm looking at, okay, so today I've got, you know, I've got uh, Keon Johnson. It's going to be one of my guys here. I've got Keon Johnson, Jerry Roden, who's a training camp guy, played a seat and I was trying to make the team. And right now I've got Greg Brown. So those are three of my guys. They brought me here for the young guys. So I've got to map out what they're doing. Are they playing? Um, are they getting any time? 
if not, we've got to make three or four days a week because that's how many games we play. We've got to make three or four high-level days so when they get into the game, their body is ready to follow. And so with that being said, it's like so we we'll map that out. And, and in, in L.A., they do such a great job, and they, they call them stay-ready games. And the stay-ready game is that they still got – Wes Johnson is a player development guy. Wes could still be playing right now. Great guy, great coach, better person. They've got Dante Jones, same, same, everything's the same. And Dante still could talk shit with the best of them, but he still can fucking play. And so they had enough young guys, so stay ready games, and Ty Lue loves it, Chauncey loves it. So you have enough guys in the video room or whatever where you can play five on five. You know, Chauncey told me an insight to his mindset the other, yesterday or two days ago we were talking. Got, got to hoop. Guys got, we got to get guys who want to hoop. We got to hoop. You know, you know, drilling is one thing. They got to hoop. But they got to hoop, but then how they're going to Play. I don't want to fucking have Keon bringing the ball to court when he's not. He's going to be a two or three. He's got to. So they have to play within how Chauncey wants them to play. So the state ready games have to be simulated and put together like how they're going to play in the game. That sometimes gets a little tough because you get guys, Dante and West, getting competitive. They want to show what they can do. But that's that's the piece. So you want to simulate how you want to play. I, I know I'm jumping around, Alan, but but basically it's, it's laid out. So you're always going to get your vitamin every day. Yep. You're always going to get some type of work you know, on the court, and you're always going to, and then, and then, depending on the day, it's a high, low, or medium. What type, of, what type of uh, impact is going to be on your body? And then you still have, you still have the the weight room, you still have the training room, everything. So to me, coming in, it's like you come in, you have breakfast. So from eight to eight fifteen, you have breakfast. Eight fifteen to eight forty five, you're on a trade training table. Eight forty five to to ten o'clock, you're in the weight room. Ten o'clock to ten twenty, you're on the court. Practice starts at eleven. So we'll map all that out, and you have so you have a little bit of time. So you'll we'll map out for each individual player. So blown away by the level of precision and detail. I mean, it it certainly makes sense, and and that's what needs to be done when when basketball is your business. All right. So let's say uh, we're recording this on a Sunday. Let's say the Portland Trailblazers are playing the Dallas Mavericks on Tuesday night at seven. Uh, when are you guys leaving for Dallas? Um, when you arrive, what does that schedule look like on the day of the game? It's a 7 p.m. tip-off. Let's, 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 let me start here, okay. and then you tell. Let's, and then, then you jump. You get me when we're there at the game. Perfect. So, okay, so today Sunday's an off day. Let's say we played last night, off day today. There's times during the year that we call it a blackout day. Depending on what we've done the last few weeks and what's coming ahead of us, a blackout day is a gym totally closed. Maybe less than nobody can come in. I mean, that's just a mental health day. Nobody can come in. And maybe that happens six times or less. It's like I don't get any days off. But a blackout day, I get that day off. Player development and video, every day you're in the building. Every day. Every day. Other coaches, because they can work from home and you've got the offensive, defensive prep. So today's a blackout day. So tomorrow, everybody would already have their time. Tomorrow, everybody would already have their time when they're coming in. So they're coming in. Keon comes in. He likes 8.30 in the morning. Tomorrow morning, I've already got the schedule out. Um, Hets kind of set it up, but I've already got when guys are coming in. And here, how they build it is that you get to court time, and then Jessica, who's our head trainer, she builds around it strength and conditioning and, and the training table time. What we want to get to is, okay, Keon, you're on the court at 8.30. So you, you're there at 7.30 for breakfast. 7.30, 7.45, you have breakfast. From 7.45 to 8.15, you're in the training table. If, if you want to get on in the weight room, that early, he'd probably do weights after the court. So we, mm-hmm. everybody's different. And um, so anyway, so then he's on the court with me from tomorrow for an hour from 8.30 to 9.30. And in season, let me back up, it'd probably be 20 minutes on the court because, you know, light vitamin. And then we then he practices at 11. So he's got some free time in between that. So he's done the court at 9. He'd be, he'd be there early. Keon has grown so much, Alan. It's really cool to watch after, you know, that, that he got traded from the Clippers. He wants to be the first one in the gym. He wants people to walk in and see him at 20 years old. That's, that's, that's significant growth from where he came from. Mm-hmm. And so then practice is at 11. After practice, guys get their shots. And then we call it in Washington, get out day. So since we're playing in Dallas on Tuesday, the NBA requires you, unless it's a back-to-back, to be there 24 hours pre- prior to the game time. So we would, you know, this is all new to me because I'm in Portland, but so from flying from here to, to Dallas, we'd probably meet at the airport at 1.30, flight leaves at 2, we go to Dallas, we fly charter to Dallas, we land, there's two buses waiting for us, players on one, coach, I mean, our players and coaches, support staff on the other, we get in the bus, we go probably to the Conrad or the Ritz, 
We drop the bus. We get there, you know, depending on the hour, probably 530, 6 o'clock, whatever it is. Um, and then guys are free until the morning meeting, if we have a walkthrough the next morning. But when we land, everywhere I've been, Isaiah Thomas wanted it, Rasul Butler wanted it, John Wall wanted it, at times Brad wanted it. I'd have to find a gym in that city to take guys that want to get some shots. Not everybody goes, but certain guys wanted to shoot the night before. It didn't matter what time you arrived. I've been in gyms at 2 o'clock in the morning, landing at, at 1.30, whatever it is. Guys want to find – we've got to find a gym. And sometimes we can use the arena. Sometimes I can go have to find a high school with our relationship. I mean, it's – you got to find it. And so after that, guys are on their own. Um, I don't know if they have team meals or team dinners here. There's always going to be a, a buffet set up if they want it, but a lot of times guys go out and eat. So then, then, then that night, there's no curfew or anything like that. Guys, that's supposed to be professional. The next morning, they get a wake-up call, and then we're probably, it's probably going to be a 10 o'clock shoot-around. Well, where we stay in Dallas is literally a 10-minute bus ride to the arena. So we get on, you know, some places do it differently. We probably get on the bus at 9.30, bus over, go right in the, in the locker room and watch the edit. And the edit would be usually in the morning is the uh, personnel so he goes, whoever has the scout to prep, goes through the personnel scout, goes over any small things that we want to know to prepare for the team, go out on the court, do some, run through some offense. We call it big smalls. And then whoever has the prep takes an hour, if that. And then whoever has the prep will go through the actions that we have to defend against and how we want to play them. Get back on the bus, go back to the hotel. There's already a buffet set up. Guys will eat the buffet if they want or order out. Most NBA guys take a nap that afternoon. And then now there's three buses, the early bus, um, and then two other buses that get over to the arena, depending on your shooting time. And you shoot. I'm, good. I'm glad you're making me do this because this is all, you know, I've got to set it up. But so your shooting time, usually young guys go early. How I've always done it is, Dame, I go from the senior, I'm the veteran on. Dame, what time do you want to be on the court? And I build back. So it'd be Dame and probably Nurk, whoever's got the most years in the league, it's the first choice. Young guys, back in the day, you'll love this. I never rode the early bus. I was always in Ubers. We call it because I was always getting guys early. So, I, you know, we get over there early, get those guys worked. So they'd, they'd sit around the arena for a couple of hours before the game. But that was our time. It was great. So then guys would come over. They go in the locker room. Everything's already set up. They put their gear on. They come out on it. They do their – they probably meet with the trainer, meet with, uh, you know, the strength coach, get a quick – you know, get loose a little bit, come out on the court. Get a 15-minute workout, which is how you know it depends on where you are and who's, you know, if you're playing that night or not. Come back in, more treatment, and prepare for the game. Game's over. From touch up to touchdown, the game is over. So now we come in, coach talks to them, they shower. We're probably going, you know, get on the plane and on to the next city. You're a genius. That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard. And rinse and repeat and do that three to four times per week. Fucking Groundhog Day every day, baby. You love it. It really is. Well, I I, I love the level of individualism and the the level, uh, you know, how much the guys are responsible for doing things on their own, as well as how much you guys do uh, together. I'm blown away by that. This just popped in my head because I've always heard kind of these urban legends what happens when a player's late to any of the things you just mentioned? He's late for shoot around. He's late for a team meeting, late for film breakdown, late for the, the early bus. What happens when a player's late? With places I've been in the past, every minute, if you're late, $2,500. Every minute after that, $1,000. Every, oh. every team, every team has, has different, has different penalties. Um, and then I've been on a plane that somebody was late. And he had to find his own right way to the to the airport. I mean, to the uh, to the game. We we were, we had a rookie in Washington. I, I'm not gonna say his name. Fucking uh, and it was it was. I felt bad because he was my rookie. Yeah. And instead of going to Dallas, he went to fucking BWI. <laughs> oh boy. He thought we'd take it because because in DC you can't take off because of you know the, the restriction by the whiteout. Right. So we're going we're at Dallas, and he's went to BWI. There's no way he's gonna meet. So he had to catch his own flight. And so I'm you know. Scotty Brooks was like, you have one chance. When I work for him, you get one opportunity. You know, you get one chance to be late. Then after that, you get fine. He gives you one out, you know. Okay. I had one, another guy, I'm not going to say his name. We're down at Battery Park. Used to be the Ritz-Carlton down in New York City, right by beautiful hotel. <laughs> and this is one dude. It's crazy. It's, it's almost like he would hide behind the fucking pole and wait till just the doors closed and he'd run on the bus. He was a rookie. Yeah. And it was, I, I, if I told you his name, but hey, man, he was who he was. He, 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 had, he had fashion. 
people would make fun of him. He didn't, I mean, he didn't give it. I mean, I, I love this kid to this day, and, and he was this dude. If I told you his name, you'd know it. But but anyway, so he would always do, be that dude. And it was just like, I don't know, it was like, it was like mystical that he could get on the bus just before it, it struck 12 o'clock or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> this one time, he fucked it up. He's running down the street in New York City trying to catch the bus. <laughs> Luckily, we got to a stoplight. He got fine. But oh. I mean, he, he did it all season, Alan. And it was like, I was amazed. I'm like, yo, this motherfucker must be hiding behind the, the, the cone or something. And just before the, you know, the bus driver gets on, he runs on. He's, and he was a rookie. But it wasn't like he was, he was fucking with it. Right. But he was about it. He's, in the, he's been in the league now. He just got another deal. He's, been, he's made a lot. I mean, and he can still, he can play. He's not yeah. a, he, but it, just, it was just like, Scotty called him artistic. I mean, he was just, he just had that mentality, his clothes, his yeah. outfits, and, and he was that confident, you know, uh, in what he did. Love him. But yeah, you, I know if we're down with driving and he's, he's, he's holding ass, you know, behind the bus trying to catch up. That is incredible. And <laughs> I mean, I don't want to noodle too hard on the, the fines, but does the money get taken out of their paycheck or do they have to actually cut a check or hand cash over? And then <laughs> what, what does that money go to? Is it donated to a charity? Yeah, or is it a charity. Okay. So usually it, it comes right out of your check. And so okay. it's a little bit, at least that's was in Washington. I don't know how they did it in, in LA because in the G League, you know, we didn't make enough money to, to, to find these guys. And in and, and the G League, these guys were, you know, very rarely were guys late. Right. Um, they were trying to make it. And we had a great group. Coach Hewitt did a great job. And we had a great group of young guys that were trying to get into veterans that were a good mix. Yeah, the fine, the only thing with the fine sometimes is that you get fined for it, but you wouldn't see it until, you know, they get paid on the the first and the 15th. Yeah. And so, you, you know, but then I had one guy, I won't say, and and I hated the fine. I hated, I didn't, cause like Tommy would tell me, Randy Whitman would tell me, Scotty would tell me, this was, I was with Whit, Coach Whitman, DA fine his ass. I'm like, I'm not taking money. I'm, I'm new. And I was fighting, you know, this dude and, 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 um, and <laughs> this dude kept fucking with me, kept coming late, kept challenging me a little bit, which is fine. No, no issue. And then I'm like, I had enough of this. So we find him. It was like almost five grand. And like, it didn't come out. Like, so he didn't, I, you're, you're going to be fine. And Thomas said, you're going to be fine. All right, whatever. He never, and the next day he was late again. But then when the pay came out, he realized the money got taken out. Then he was really pissed off. I'm like, yo, dude, I mean, you know, and I had, I had it listed. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I mean, I'm getting heat from upstairs because you keep coming late. I, you know, I'm letting them know what you're doing. It's not, I'm not tattletaling on you, but my job is to get your ass in the gym and get you better. And if you're not doing, you know, Sean Fine, who who uh, is a coach with the Clippers that runs player development, you know, players have to take part of their own development. They have yeah. to take part in their own development. And you say yes, and you've been with some of the best players, and I know that, but those best players had a work ethic, had a competitive level, and had a give a shit level that they were about it. That's why they're on your wall. Yeah. But there's a lot of dudes that don't think that, they, that that's important or that they can keep getting by because they've done that in the past. Now, this league, man, is unfucking forgiven. This league yeah. is, I learned it as a coach. I thought my shit, I'm like, I'm going to be in Washington forever. Nah, man, it was time for a change. They made a change. It was out of my hands. I think I, this is what I say about that time. I must have been doing something right. When Tommy let me go, the five guys that I brought in to the Wizards, all five player development guys, all five of those guys have moved up in the ranks, and all five of those guys got three-year deals with the new coach, Wes Unsell. But it was time for me to move. And so my legacy and all those guys I'm good with and, 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 and I respect them and I'm not mad at them at all. But, you know, and, and to pat myself a little bit, all five of those dudes got three-year deals of significant pay raises and, and, and they're doing a great job for Wes. And Wes, Wes was great to me when it all went down. So it's about relationships. And to me, you know, that's what it is about. But, but you know, I can't, I can't hold your hand because there's another one coming in. And you know me well enough. I think I can save that guy. I can help that guy. Well, that dude's gonna. That dude don't give a fuck about what I'm doing. You know what I mean? He's just trying to get 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 his, get move on or whatever. And so, so fortunately for me, I've been in great organizations with the Wizards, with the Clippers, where they bring in high character guys, and we take chances on some guys, and then give them every opportunity. And once they don't make it, I mean, and let me tell you something, man. This shit is like nothing stops the NBA. Not COVID. You know, not race it, nothing. <laughs> nothing stops the NBA. It keeps moving because it's, it's too much money. That was awesome. <laughs> well, I, I think that's the perfect exclamation point to end this, man. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Obviously, appreciate your friendship, your mentorship, 
everything you've ever done for me. I mean, you're incredibly influential, but this was just a fascinating conversation. I mean, I've, I've been around the high school and college game long enough that I, I think I know how that sausage is made, yeah. but I've never really had a peek into the, the, the pro world, you know, and this is, this is unbelievable. Um, so happy that you've landed with Portland um, and so excited to see what you build and what you create there. Uh, this, this has been remarkable, man. I can't thank you enough. My man, I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Alan. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with us. I hope we helped you raise your game and provided useful insight on how you can maximize the unseen hours. If you found this episode helpful, would you be open-minded to supporting the show? Would you be kind enough to share it with a friend or colleague? Would you take 30 seconds and leave us a rating and review? Those two things help support the show's mission and message more than you realize. And don't ever forget, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. If I can ever be of service to you or your organization, please visit allensteinjr.com or strongerteam.com for a variety of speaking and coaching resources. 